Well, again, I wanna welcome you to Warehouse. My name's Christian, I'm actually the student pastor here. And so this is my home court. You know, in, in basketball and football, they talk about you have a home court advantage. So I'm really hoping that this is, I get the home court advantage. I have my Unite shirt on. That's our conference we did a couple weeks ago. Uh, so. I'm hoping home court, home field advantage, we're good to go. This is where um, we pre I preach every uh, Wednesday night. And so this is our student ministry building. If you haven't ever been in here, you're welcome anytime. Come hang out with us. Um, well, I just wanted to start this new series, and I figured, um, why don't we start with prayer? Yes, and, and before we get into the Word and, and this new series, we start a little bit with prayer. So pray with me, guys. Uh, God, thank you so much. Uh, for this opportunity to uh, really come and study your word, look into what you have for us this morning. God, I pray that you open our hearts, that you open our minds to what you have. God, I pray for healing. I pray that we get to know you just a little bit better. God, that we are all about your glory. We ask all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. And so today we're starting this new series called Church has left the building, and me and Jonathan are going to be doing this together. I know it's a little different than a typical uh, Sunday or a typical message. It's not one pastor preaching. We're going to kind of be preaching together, right? Yeah. So we, um, if you don't, you don't know us all that well, but if you are ever able to come and hang out in the office with us on a normal day, there's oftentimes you're going to find me or Jonathan, one of our offices, and we're going to be talking. And it could be about anything. It could be about the world. It could be about scripture, sports, or whatever else. And we are just going at it. A lot of times we're agreeing. We're just talking loud. We're, we're into it. And this is kind of, we just want to invite you into our conversations. And so today we're going to be talking about churches left the building. And yeah. you might be like, well, how am I actually in the conversation if you're sitting here like getting really passionate? Well, like I'm going to tell you, we get really passionate about stuff. We do. We do. And so like even sometimes Brian will walk back there and he'll think we're in a fight or an argument. <laughs> and really, we're just talking very loudly at each other, agreeing about the same thing. And so um, we get really passionate when we talk. And so we kind of figured you guys might be interested in that. And so uh, with this series, Church Has Left the Building, is all about um, looking at what the church is right now, because we can't all be here together. We're on campus right now, but obviously... You can't be here with us at this time. So what does that actually look like? And it's kind of interesting. We put, we did not put the church has left the building. We put church has left the building because let's just be honest, the church was never really confined to the building. We're going to talk about that. But church as a whole, like, yeah. is not in here anymore. Church yeah. has left the building. And so we can't all physically be here, but what does that actually look like? Yeah, and instead of focusing on what we can't do, I think that's the focus on all of our hearts right now. Instead of focusing on what we can't do, we want to invite you in this series to really focus on more of who we are in Christ and, and really who the church is, their identity and who they are, not what they're about doing as much as they are about what they're being and what they're becoming. And the danger of all of this is that we can go through a season of time like this and be unchanged at the end of all of this. That we believe that God wants to use this moment in our lives as a marker for your good and for His glory. And you know, we talk about markers a lot in Scripture, that you see markers a lot in Scripture. In fact, the Hebrews, the Israelite people, 
a lot of times uh, a spiritual marker would occur in the life of those people and they would take rocks and pile them up, pile them up on top of one another and set up a memorial. It wasn't because they were out of paper. They were doing it as a marker, a moment in time that they could come back and look at that marker and remember what God was doing. We actually have one of these on our campus, which is kind of crazy if you never had a chance to look. The first building that was built uh, that still remains here on campus actually has a marker on it. Uh, and you're probably seeing that right now on the screen. But God is all about markers. He's all about these spiritual moments that we take a hold of. And the question that we want to ask is, could it be that God doesn't want church to return to normal, usual church after this is over? Could it be that God has something in store for us to learn, a marker in this time frame, in this period? Could it be that He has something for us to see here that changes us and the way we activate church forever? Yeah, so it's this whole idea of not just doing church, coming to church. So oftentimes we think, all right, we're going to church right Sunday morning, Wednesday nights, and that's really what we revolve our church life around are these once a week or twice a week events, but not just doing church, but actually being the church. And uh, we see this actually in the early church. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter two. And we get this really cool description of what the church is. And, and just a little bit of context to this in, in Acts chapter two, uh, it's actually Acts is written by Luke, which is the same guy who wrote Luke, the gospel of Luke. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, he wrote that. And then he's writing Acts as well. And there's a lot of really cool stuff that just happened right before Acts chapter two. And that is like Jesus just died, was resurrected, came and hung out on earth for a little while and then ascended back up into heaven. So that's just not too long before that, just right before this. Then the church has started with Pentecost. So the, there's people in the, like the town square and there's fire over their heads and they're talking in languages that they don't know. And it's just this crazy, awesome moment when the Holy Spirit comes in to play right there. It's when the church really kind of started. And then in Acts, right before this, Peter preached a sermon that's has to be one of the best sermons up until that point where 3,000 people were saved at the same time in one day. So 3,000 Peter preaches, 3,000 people are seen, are saved that day. And then we have this cool summary of what the church looked like in that first century AD. So in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read the whole this whole scripture right here. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42, all the way through verse 47. And then um, we're going to go in and break apart that just a little bit. So it starts in Acts 2, verse 42. So let me open my Bible up for you here. All right. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together. I, I want to stop right there. I know we're going to go through all of this, but I think this is a great place to stop because that little phrase right there is kind of the, the make or break phrase for really this entire series attending the temple together. 
This is what this early church was doing. But here's what I want you to do real quick. I want you to take your finger or just however you can do this. Definitely don't mark it out. But mentally kind of cover that phrase up for just a second. Attending the temple together. Just kind of mentally kind of cover that phrase up and, and ask yourself this question. Does the church still exist without that phrase? Does the church still exist? This is really the question for this series. Not just can the church survive without this phrase. Really the question is can the church flourish without meeting together in a building? We believe that it can and that it should. And guys, it's not to take away from the building. It's not to take away from that. We realize that there is a lot of nostalgia and comfort surrounding buildings. We feel this way about our homes, right? Our homes are a place of comfort. And even our church buildings have become, and for many of us, a place of comfort. I'm in this building, and before Christian uh, had the opportunity to take over a student pastor, I was able to be the student pastor for nine years. I had the privilege of doing that. And this building that we're in right now, it does. I have nostalgia over this building. I, I cut my teeth, as, as uh, maybe the older folks say, I cut my teeth in preaching in this building. I've preached more messages in this building than any other place. And so there is this nostalgia, there's this comfort too, a building. And, and I get that. I think we all kind of feel that. But the church is not tied to a geographical location. That's the reason for the series name. That church is not canceled. We've said that. Church is not canceled, but it has left the building. And these believers weren't just waiting for Sunday to come. Look here with me in verse 40, 46 again. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes... They received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Yeah, so let's go back and just take this verse by verse and look at what God might be having to say to us and about this description of the early church. And so reading back in verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And I want to focus in on that word devoted. They devoted themselves. If they are devoted, it's going to show you can't hide devotion. It meant that this is what their life revolved around up. And when I think of devoted, I think of this, uh, of Kobe Bryant. Right, Kobe is one of the greatest basketball players ever to play. And there's the argument of Michael Jordan, LeBron James, all that. But I want to talk about Kobe. I'm not getting into that. Kobe has, may have been one of the greatest players in history, and there have been all kinds of great NBA players throughout the history of the NBA, but there's only a handful that were as devoted as Kobe Bryant. And so there's like these stories of Kobe getting up at 4.30 in the morning, doing a whole practice and workout before his teammates get, this is the highest level of basketball you can be. And sometimes in the, like, there'd be all-star games and, you know, all-star week is when players take it easy and they just rest up and they'll do it. Kobe Bryant in the gym at five o'clock in the morning before all the meetings even start. This is Kobe Bryant outwork because he was devoted. He revolved his life around being a, the best, not just a good basketball player, not just the talent he was giving, but he devoted himself to be the best he could possibly be. And he wasn't going to take that for granted. So what does that look like 
If we are devoted, as devoted as Kobe Bryant was to basketball, getting up that early, spending that much time over and over, doing the same things over and over, if we are that devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to prayer, what does that look like in our lives? You know, what does this look like in the first century church? In the first century church, they didn't have many full-time positions in the church. There's a couple apostles that that was their job, but for the most part, just like today, most of the people were just your average, normal people. They didn't get a paycheck from the church. They didn't, they weren't necessarily supported by it. They just were doing their lives. So what does that look like? But what it does, if they were devoted, if they were a potter and made pottery, they were God's potter. If they were a shopkeeper, they were God's shopkeeper. And I think that this is something important that I think someone watching this needs to hear, that you're not just a fill in the blank. If you are anything, you are that for God. If you're a teacher, you're not just a teacher, you're God's teacher. If you're a contractor, you're not just a contractor, you're God's contractor. If you're an office assistant and you're like, my job doesn't matter, it does matter. You are not just an office assistant, you are God's office assistant. If you are a mom and dad, you're not just a mom and dad. You are a mom and dad to a child of God. And that's a weighty, heavy thing. If you are devoted, this is going to show up in your everyday life. Not just, okay, like, okay, I show up to church and, you know, I'd, and I might say a prayer before meals, but this is going to show up in everyday life. People are going to see what your life is like. Uh, Odds Guinness has this quote. It says, the problem with Western Christians is not that they aren't where they should be, but that they aren't what they should be where they are. That's good. Not what they should be where they are. So wherever you are, be devoted. Do that for the glory of God. That's what being devoted looks like. Yeah, and we see this in the early church, right? This devotion that's so intense. And, and you have this really weird phrase uh, starting in verse 43 that seems a little out of place. And it says in verse 43, And fear came upon every soul. Now, this is a really strange phrase, and it's weird for us because when we think of any word right now that's kind of popping up in our culture, it's this word fear. And we, in fact, we did a whole series on this a few weeks ago, and I'm, the goal here is not to reteach that series, but it's a word. It's a word that really has a lot of meaning when it comes to the early church. That fear in this passage, in this context, fear is a prerequisite for something great that's about to happen in the early church. That's pretty crazy to think about. That there is a fear that brings about a power in the church that is unrivaled. And it's this fear of God. This Some of your translations probably say the word all, all. And it's this awareness produced when a person realizes that they are in the presence of God. You know, I think sometimes, Christian, we, we kind of approach God in a very casual way. And it's not that God is not our friend. It's not that God is not our loving Abba Father. Um, but sometimes it's just a little too casual. And, and really, even in, in Jesus' time when he was here on earth, in Mark chapter 4, we see this, that even the disciples, I guess because they were hanging out with him a lot, they kind of treated that relationship at times casual. And I remember in Mark 4, you know, this the story of Jesus and the disciples on the, on the water, on the storm. And we find Jesus asleep uh, in the boat. And the disciples are panicking. They're thinking, all right, this is it. 
And Jesus wakes up and he calms the storms. He just speaks and they stop. And the little passage there is left with these disciples who have known this guy for a long time, just left in astonishment. They're like, who is this guy, right? This is the God that we serve. We don't serve a puny God. We serve a God who speaks universes into existence. That our fears of everything in this world, when we look at God and who He is, our fears of this world, they seem so small compared to that. And we said this the other week, that our fear and our awe of who Christ is should eclipse our heart's affections and our minds. That that's what happens when we have fear in God. That our hope does not rest in a president or the governor of our state. Our hope rests in the governor of the wind and the waves. The governor over death and life. The governor who holds stars in his hands. You know, there's all this talk about who has authority, right? Is it, is it this guy? Is it that guy? Who has the authority to make these calls? I'm going to tell you now, there's no one on planet Earth right now that has authority over death and over life. Jesus said in John 10, 18, he says, I have authority to lay down my life and I have authority to pick it back up. And this is the fear we're talking about here, that when you look at the church and it seems that they're doing amazing things, the church wasn't fearless. It's that their fear was in the right thing, namely the person of Jesus Christ. And this was an exciting thing. God used this in powerful ways. Look at verse 43. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So there's this exciting time where God is doing miraculous things And Jesus promised this. He said this in John 14, 12. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he or she who believes in me, the works that I do, they will also do. And even greater works than these, greater works than what Jesus did, they will do. Now, this doesn't mean, Christian, and I think we kind of know this. It's kind of funny to think about. It doesn't mean you go to a funeral and try to, you know, raise the man up from the dead or raise the woman up from the dead. It doesn't necessarily mean that. But here's the thing. It also doesn't mean that miracles have just somehow ceased, that God is still in the business of doing miracles, and God has empowered the church to be the miracle agent in this world to facilitate ultimately the greatest miracle and the greatest need of every human being, the miracle of salvation over death and hell and sin. And that is what we see right here in the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and then it continues right in that, right in verse 44 it says, now all who believed were together, right? The church, they were together and had all things in common. And then in verse 45, and sold all their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Imagine living that generously, that instead of wondering about who's going to give you what you deserve and what you are owed, more of who, how can I give what someone else needs? Not what I'm owed, but what someone else needs. Imagine thinking like that. And then this may seem, if you read it on just a basic level, it seems like this is kind of a socialist economy, but this is not a socialist economy. This is not a requirement, right? So it is freely giving. It is an option 
that just because they have, they want to make sure other people have as well, right? They could not, they had so much love for each other that they couldn't stand them having while someone else went without. And we know this is an option because in Acts 5, uh, Sapphira and Ananias are like, they have some problems, right? Yeah. What happens is Ananias and Sapphira, if you don't know the story, they sell a piece of land, they're married, they sell a piece of land, and then they're telling the church, hey, we sold this land and we're giving you all the money, which is great. That sounds great. Well, they lied about it. They actually kept some money for themselves. And we find out there, and Peter calls them out and says, you didn't have to give us anything. You didn't, we didn't ask you to sell your land. You could have kept half for yourself, but they lied about it, and that was the sin. They lied about keeping some for themselves. It was fine if they did it. Just say, hey, we kept half, and we give, we're giving you half. But they kept some back, and that was a problem, and it didn't work out well for them. It, it just really didn't. If you need, read the story, uh, we're not going to get in that more today, but it's an option. This caring for other people is an option, but the thing is, in this early church, people cared so much about each other that they wanted to give stuff away. It's kind of like this whole idea of the church isn't about hoarding toilet paper, right? <laughs> we see here so much about toilet paper now, but we're not about hoarding that. We're about yeah. giving it. I mean, well, I don't necessarily have any toilet paper to give you right now, but not about, wor- <laughs> not about worrying about what do I have yeah. next, about hoarding toilet paper or meat or anything else. Let me make sure I get mine because I don't, I got to get mine before you get yours kind of thing. This whole idea is just completely lost on this first century church. There would not have been a run of the first century Christians to the grocery store to get everything they possibly could need for the entire year because they know that means somebody else goes without, right? And there's really cool things that even today I've seen good things come from this, right? So it brings out the good and the bad in people. So the bad people are hoarding stuff, obviously. That's just, it's just like crazy things. It's not the best thing to be hoarding stuff so other people go without. But good, people are willing and ready to help. I've seen stories in, of in our community, in our church, people helping out their neighbors and, and bringing care packages to people who don't have or, or little loving things to make sure people uh, know that they're cared about or loved about. Or I saw the other day someone talking about they were out of uh, some kind of basic need at home. I think it was soap. And someone else said, hey, guess what? I have some soap. Let me bring it over to you. And they dropped it off at their front porch. Really kind of a cool thing like that. Not worried about, oh, well, we might run out of soap later. Too bad. You're out of luck. They just gave it up freely. And that's what the church is all about. That's right. This generosity that you see. Uh, I love verse 46. It says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness. I love that word gladness, Christian. Uh, The word in the Greek, it actually means, the word gladness means to rejoice. Or it's actually this idea to have a reaction of joy, to to react joyfully. You know, you think about the word react, and that's different than the word act. I I think we kind of know that. That really when you think about acting joyful, it's almost this idea of acting joyful can be something that's fake. Like I can can perceive to be acting joyful, but reacting joyful is a totally different thing. Reactions occur, and when they do, it's really showing and revealing what's really in the heart. That's why your family and your close friends really probably know the real you because they not only see the actions you perform, they see the reactions. And this early church was all about this reaction of joy. But for a lot of us, we do. We fake 
that action of joy because for some of us, it's hard to be joyful. And we know this to be true. So you know what we do? We take things and we take opportunities and we try to create and manufacture our own joy. We do this a lot with plans. I do this a lot with plans. I create these plans hoping that they will manufacture some form of joy in my life. And we do. We make plans like this. We make plans for vacations. We make plans for our career. We make plans for our family. These moments that we think, all right, if I can make this plan and have something to look forward to, then, you know, I'll have some joy. I'll have some gladness in my life. I'll have this to look forward to. And I used to think that this was just, you know, an American thing, but this is something that early Christians struggled with too. James 4 tells us this uh, in 4.13. It says, come now you who say, he's saying, hey, there's these guys, they're making plans. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. These guys, they have a plan. They're gaining gladness and joy from that plan. But look at verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Man, can we talk about a verse that really defines where we're at right now. We are in a place where we find ourselves all plans going downhill. I mean, no Easter. Yeah. What, what was that all about? Yeah, we had we had great plans for Easter. Easter turned out well, but yeah. when months ago, we were planning out Easter, yeah. and we spent, what, two or three staff meetings fully out, just planning yep. out Easter. Uh, we had where we were going to put donuts and coffee and how we were going to do it. Because we get really excited about Easter. Yeah. I don't know if you guys know about this, but Easter is kind of like the Super Bowl of church. Yeah. It's the Super Bowl. Like <laughs> We celebrate Resurrection Sunday yeah. every Sunday, but the world celebrates Elevation, or Elevation Sunday. Resurrection Sunday, that Sunday on Easter. And so we get excited. We get pumped up for that. And so I think you and Wes had a lot planned out Oh my out goodness. We had uh, songs picked out already. Me and Wes, Jason and Keith, we'd already figured out our songs. We figured out our worship order. We were just so ready for what God was going to do. And here's the thing, guys. All of that planning, all of those hours, gone. It was done. It was done. And we thought the worst that could happen was if it rained. Yeah. That we, was, we, we were planning. We were ready it, for that. <laughs> if it was going to rain, man, it was going to be tough, but we figured it we out. We figured that was it worst out. Worst case scenario, it rains. Yeah. And we had no idea. And here's the thing. We realize there are all kinds of plans in your life that have done the same thing. Even your backup plans fail. But here's the truth, and this is what we found to be true. Because those have failed, a lot of us have found a loss of joy. We've we found a loss of our joy because our joy was based in plans. And so instead of reevaluating, well, where's my joy found? We just exchanged plans for projects. Like if you think about it right now, a lot of people are doing projects. We got a project every week in our house. And honestly, I'm getting to a point where I'm starting to help other people with theirs. I went over and helped one of my friends with a retaining wall. And by help, I mean held the flashlight and talked. Um, but I mean, we all have these projects that we're doing. And, and here's the truth about our projects. The ultimate end, this is our hope. The ultimate end of that project is that it will bring us some, some, storm, some form or semblance of joy. And here's the truth. If we can just mulch those beds, if we can just paint those rooms, if we can just declutter those closets, the lie that Satan is telling us, if we can just do these things, then I'll have some form of joy. 
You know, there's this Netflix show. I don't know anything about this show, Christian. I promise I haven't watched it. But I know it's a pretty famous show. Uh, Marie Kondo, she mm -hmm. declutters house. She's like a professional declutterer. And she goes around and her catchphrase is, as you're decluttering, does this item, does this thing that I'm about to get rid of, does it spark joy? And here's the truth about decluttering projects and plans and all these things. There's no amount of temporary decluttering projects can spark enough joy to fulfill a heart made for eternal things. That we are not made to get our lasting satisfaction out of our plans and out of our projects. What we find true in our lives is that these plans that we coordinate and these projects that we accomplish, that if we're not careful, that they don't actually cause joy in our life, they actually distract us from true and real and lasting joy. One of my favorite authors, Bob Goff, he says this. Uh, he says that Satan doesn't really need to destroy us. He really only needs to distract us. And for some of us, man, that's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves, if we're honest, distracted. So here's what our challenge is to you. Don't allow this time in your life to be, to be distracted by the plans that failed. Don't continue to wish this time away thinking, well, as long as we can get to June or as long as we can get to July, things will be better and my plans will come back. It is ultimately a, a distraction. Also, don't allow, don't continue to accomplish projects hoping that you'll find some eternal need met in a temporary thing. Allow your joy to be found in Christ. That's when joy goes from just being an action or a fake face that you put on. That's when joy goes into being a reaction. And this is what we see in the church. And this is a main reason why the church is flourishing. Didn't matter all the bad things that were going on. Didn't matter that Caesar was in control. Didn't matter that persecution was about to come. Their joy wasn't found in plans and in projects. Their joy was found in Christ. Amen. And so they're with their breaking bread with gladness and joy and all of this stuff. So what does that end up looking like? And in, in verse 46, it says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And that's where I want to hit simplicity of heart. And in verse 47, it says, Praising God and having favor with all people. It says they were more worried about giving God the glory than anything else. So this idea of eating food with gladness and then simplicity of heart and praising God, they were more worried about that. Other stuff did not matter nearly as much as giving God the glory. This would, they were, people would be worrying around them for sure, but they were filled with joy, not worry and gloom and doom because they're in Israel and all this other stuff. So the Romans have control and, you know, they won't. The, the new city, the new country of Israel to raise again, and that's not happening at the moment. And so I'm sure people around them are filled with gloom and doom and everything that's going on, but they were not worried about spreading fear or conspiracy theories. They were worried about spreading the joy of, of God. And I just think in the first century AD, I think like they're, have, they're sitting around, uh, I don't know, the, the well outside because that was a gathering place for them in the well, and you got a couple Christians talking and other people just sitting in the... Uh, sitting around talking and shooting the breeze. And someone says, I heard Caesar uh, was trying to take over the world. Like someone would say that. And, and then that one of the Christians would probably respond in a way of, well, yeah, of course. Like, of course he's trying to take over the world. That's like, 
That's his job as a Caesar to take over the world. But I know who created the world, so I'm not worried about it. Or like someone else comes up and says, I heard they were trying to take prayer out of all the Roman schools and, and wanted to erase them off the clay tablets. Right. And then said, they're like, yeah, I, I, the Christian would respond. Yeah, I, I guess they can do that. I mean, they have the right to do that. But the great part is the one true God. I know hears me when I call his name wherever I am, wherever I'm about. I can cry out his name and he listens and he knows me. So it doesn't matter what they do. So I'm ready. It's not about this idea of conspiracies. It's more about sharing comfort. Right now, I spend like I spend a lot of time on social media right now, and I'm sure as all of you guys are spending social media time, right? And I like Facebook and I like Instagram and stuff like that. And I've seen really cool ways of people doing this, of sharing joy, of this simplicity, ease of heart, right? And praising God in that. So there's these cool ways that I've seen people do that. We even within our church, people like uh, Austin and Taylor Tibbetts have been sharing these little stories on Facebook, these God stories, God moments that they've been having and talking. It's a really cool thing that they've been doing. And then all in marriage, our marriage ministry here has been having a kind of continuation of yeah. the the conference table talks, right? So they're filming just couples talking about their relationship with God, their relationship with each other during this time of quarantine, which is such a cool way. That's what I imagine the first century church sitting through this occupation of Rome, not worried about the gloom and doom, but the gladness and simplicity of heart. And people liked them for it. Yeah. It says they had favor with all people. That means people like them. I don't know about you, but I don't like being around People who are gloom and doom and upset and sad and the world is ending. Like those aren't fun people to be around. I don't have, they don't have favor with me. I have favor with people who are fun and happy and joyful and gladness. And they had that, right? And then so there's these, I've just this idea of social media. I've read the bad side of social media as well, well, right? So believers spreading fear and hate over just and like name calling people just because they see the situation different than other people or they have a different philosophy of economics. And the fact that we could, as believers, hate somebody for that and call them names and be ugly about that is just beyond me, right? You see this here. Like you see the early church is not frustrated. And they might've even been frustrated, but they were not hateful and calling names. They ate with gladness and simplicity of heart. So this is, they knew everyone's created in the image of God. Just because you have a different economic policy they are creating the image of God, and God cares about them, and we should act like that too. People were actively fighting against the early church. Right? At this point in time, the heavy persecution hadn't happened yet, but they were actively putting, trying to put a stop on the early church. They had these weird people that believed that this guy was God, and he died and was raised again, and like they didn't like it. Right? The Jews didn't like it. The Romans didn't like it. They were all worried about it. They were trying to stomp it out. They, they weren't like they would be losing jobs and losing, you know, outcasts from society and all that. Even though people like being around them, they're nice. But that wasn't a good situation for the early church. But they responded with gladness yeah. and sincere hearts. Yeah. That's just amazing to me. Yeah. And I love the fact that, you know, we see God has or them having favor with the people. That's a great yeah. result because we people I like, like having favor. People like <laughs> being liked. I mean, that's, but man, the, the last part of this verse is honestly, I think, both of our yeah. favorite part because mm-hmm. it takes it from a physical level to a higher spiritual plane. Look with me at the last part of verse 47. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Man, daily. That word is 
awesome. That word's great. I mean, Christian, I don't know if you know this, but the Greek word for daily, I don't know if you know what it means. It actually means something really interesting. What's it mean? It means daily. Wow! Daily, right? <laughs> daily, they were being added to the church. It's the interval between sunrise and sunset. So you mean it means day? Like it, every it day? It means every day. Wow. People wow. were coming to Christ through God using the church. And, and here's the thing that we've just kind of realized as, as a church, that church is not, is not bound by a location, a geographical location. Mm-hmm. It's also not bound by a certain time of the week. Church is not about just the Sunday. The church should be in the daily. We should be in the daily you know, I think about the Easter drive-in that we got to have and, you know, for plan C or D or whatever that plan was mm-hmm. for Easter, that was pretty awesome. I'm just going to tell you, that was amazing. A great message, great music, great fellowship, seeing everybody. Yeah, just great, everybody. great worship. I mean, I, I remember just sitting in the car with my children behind me and hearing them sing and literally just tears welling up inside of me just realizing how great of a special moment this is, a moment that we probably will never forget as a church. But here's the truth. God wants so much more for our church than a Sunday. He wants so much more for our church than a Sunday event. He wants us as a church to operate in the daily. How do we do that? Man, we have to live in the daily. We are the church. We got to live in the daily. Yeah. And so if you're a believer and you're watching this, and and I hope you are, but if you're a believer, I want you to just repeat this phrase over and over. I am the church. And you can repeat that as I'm saying it, but just this idea going through your mind, I am the church. I am the church. I just, this idea of we are the church and living daily is not just a place that we come to, but a people we belong to, right? That's, it's who we are. It really is. It's not just this idea of a Sunday, Wednesday gathering or Easter, as great as it was, is it is about being the church and then acting accordingly. As if we know who we are there and that we are the church, we are going to act on that accordingly. So we're able to be that generosity. We're able to live generous. We're able to be so thankful and and live and love people the way that they deserve to be loved. And we're able to see that. And people are going to be favor. We're going to have favor with people. And what happens then is people start to see the love of Christ that we have. If it's not just a, hey, come to church. We can't do that right now, right? We cannot, you literally cannot invite someone, say, hey, I'm a part of this great church. Why don't you come and hear the word of God? You can't do that now. I tell people to do that all the time for student ministry. It's like, hey, invite your friends to warehouse. If they don't know God, invite them to warehouse, like be a part of that, which is a great thing to do. We can't do it right now. It's completely just completely taken off the table. So what it means is it's so much more on you. And if we continue this, you said this at the beginning, that if we li- if we stay the same and don't change through all of this, it's going to be so sad. Yeah. Yes, when this is all over and we're back here and it's going to be great when we're all back together and able to see each other and give each other hugs, it's going to be phenomenal. I cannot wait to that day. But if we go back to just saying, hey, why don't you come to church? Or you know what? I, yeah, I'm. I go to church on Sundays, and, and that's just all we live our life. Wow, what a sad reality that would be. We have to be those people wherever we are at. 
be the church the way that we were here. So wherever you're at today, I want that challenge to just resonate in your heart of being the church. How do you be a neighbor to the people around you? How do you share the love of Christ to those people right there in your neighborhood? When you show up at, at Walmart or wherever to get groceries and it's frustrating to to, get gro- to go grocery shopping right now because of all the differences that are around and we get short-tempered. How can we show grace and mercy in those situations so that people know, oh, that guy, that girl, that lady, that, that person's different. And then we are able to be the church wherever we're at. We're able to serve people, show people love, and continue with that. So as we close out this message, why don't we pray together? Because I think that's so important. Because that's one of these cool things is, is we're actually recording this way before you're going to see this. We're recording this, and you might feel live, and I know I'm kind of breaking the third wall here, but it might feel live. It's not. I'm actually currently at home on my couch watching this, um, but when I, when we're praying together, there's something important, and that's part of what they devoted themselves, right? It says, and the, the first part says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and to prayer, and so when we pray together, we're really praying together. We're not just fake praying. We're praying now, but you're praying then, and it's great. So pray with us. And this is one of the things, and, and I wasn't planning on sharing this, but when we pray, it's important. Be a part of the prayer. And a lot of times we, we do this back and forth. Is you can say stuff while I'm praying. Pray with me. Yeah. Agree. Say, yep, that's right. Or add your own prayers in there. It's not just, I don't have a special, special connection to God. Jonathan doesn't have a special connection to God. We're not, we don't have the direct line. Just pray together and devote ourselves to this time. It's with me. God, we just thank you for giving us this opportunity. I know it's crazy, God, just to be asking you for and be thankful for this, but God, we really are, we're thankful for a difference. God, thank you for setting up the church in the way that it is not reliant on a building, a place, or things, God. We just thank you that you have set this up to where we are a a people, that we are your people, your church, that we are on here for a purpose of bringing you glory, of showing people your love. God, we thank you for that because we can't, honestly, I can't imagine any other way because this is such a, your ways are so much higher than my ways. God, I pray that you challenge us and grow us, God, in this time of, of difference God, that we are able to be more and more like you would have us be, that we don't just come to church on a Sunday and a Wednesday. God, and that is important coming together, and we know that that was an important, God, but that we are also now focusing on all the other times of just loving your people and caring about your people and just devoting ourselves to what you would have us be. God, we ask all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.